Hey tribe, welcome to Word Up with Danny Katz, your one-stop 5D superhero listening spot. Now, here at Word Up, we host a number of different podcast series, including Words Are Matter, Planetary Service Announcements, Witchy Life Hacks, The Conscious Awesome Show with my amazing co-host, Justin Polgar. It's where we play Spot the Propaganda together, and it's where we have high-vibe, deep-diving conversations with amazing humans. So be sure to hit that subscribe button and stay tuned for this week's episode. While we at The Conscious Awesome Show do not advocate for any type of violence, today's episode is called Kill Your Television. (laughs) Originally recorded as a video, why don't you head on over to our Locals page if you want to check out our faces and see who this Justin Frank Polgar character is. ConsciousAwesome.Locals.com. It's where we post all our videos, host live streams. It's where the community drops in, cross-pollinates, etc. As well, I encourage you to stock up on chocolate at YesCacao.com and to track Danny's everything at DannyCats.Locals.com. Enjoy the show, tribe. Yes. Ladies, hey ladies, Hi. gentlemen, greetings gentlemen, people of all sizes, welcome to Conscious Awesome, the show where we explore concepts that are related to consciousness and bring some light and levity and permission to these topics. Um, you know, we're not like a red pill channel, but we only speak our, we speak our truth via experience, which we love sharing with each other. This is my lovely co-host, Danny Katz. Greetings, I, lovely humans. I am Justin Polgar. My name is Justin Polgar. I am more than just my name. Way more. So Obviously. much more. As are you and all of our listeners. And uh, yeah, welcome to episode 14. Episode 14. That's like a that's like a nice ripe adolescent right there. Adolescent we're not just at the braces. Yeah, we're, it's not like we're just starting our adolescence. We're in it. Mm-hmm. We're in it. We're Welcome getting, to episode fourteen. Getting cozy, cozy with the discomfort of adolescence. The more that we can become comfortable with our discomfort, the more we're winning the game. Yes. As and is our nervous system. Bless your nervous system, my friends. Welcome to episode 14. Today's topic, which I'm unusually excited about, is all about letting go of your TV. It's like uh, when we stopped watching television. What's the topic name? How did you, how did you invite me into this? Because it, it did engender some excitement. Yeah, so I didn't give it an actual title. It was, a, it was an email sent late at night saying, why don't we talk about when we gave up television? And, and I, we'll see if it expands into our, our own personal relationships with mainstream media, media discernment, 
healthy media intake. That, that's sort of the umbrella. Those are all very ripe topics, especially now. Especially now. Now. Um, how long have you been TV free? I've been TV free for 20 years. <gasps> Me too. Twinsies, cosmic twinsies. Yeah, 2000 was when it, uh, yep, that was just when it no longer served. I came to the TV, I looked at it, and I thought, this is not, this is no longer, this is no longer serving me. Was it just an intellectual <laughs> thought in the moment, or did something happen? Was it based on something that you saw? There was a, it was a time, I mean, it was a time of experience of consciousness mm -hmm. and also had moved into a, my college house out of the dorms into the college house and there was the conversation of do we get cable and all of us were like we don't need cable this is before like streaming you know you could go and like download things on uh i mean beyond napster there was a bunch of the a bunch of like di download pirate media thing you know that was like just kind of becoming taboo and uh we were just like there's so much to do we lived like a block from the boardwalk in santa cruz and we were 20 18 19 20 year olds it's like why we don't need cable yeah um and if we really needed something i'm sure we could go to someone's house and watch something i'm not a big sports fan which i know that can be a big uh that can be a hurdle to, to subscribing to television is you don't want to miss the sports piece. Now, I, I love the experience of watching sports with people. I love going to games um, and like feeling the energy of the crowd. That's awesome. Um, I'm the one that is cheering for sports, not a specific team. I want humans to do awesome things. Um, can make, sometimes makes people feel a little uncomfortable because they want to know what side I'm on. Um, Isn't it interesting how it makes people so uncomfortable when you haven't chosen a side? I don't want to take us off track. I just want to acknowledge that I also have that experience. Yeah, I mean, that even in that track, just choosing the side of being a television watcher or not. You know, it's, in, it's interesting. I remember back then thinking, well, surely there's going to be some offering as we become more customized and more curated. You're going to be able to have specific channels that you can pay for. Like back then, I was like, that's got to be an option. You don't need to get like all of cable and like bundles of all of these movie channels and uh, sports channels, whatever, premium. Uh, it was just, it was a thing. And basically, you know, we had movies and DVDs and things that we would watch. Um, like a uh, lot, like I remember we watched uh, Portishead, live Portishead. We used to play that all the time and uh, Gorilla, like music video stuff we would put on there. Um, we would use, but it was a shitty little TV too. That was a really, that was great too. If it was like a large screen TV, if it was, if it was a large screen television, then it might've been like more difficult to give up maybe. Yeah. Like we created the environment, but also a big piece was we had this, uh, this rule that when we were watching anything, uh, we had to do push-ups, like any kind of commercial break or, any type, like someone could just call it out. And uh, so actually now thinking of it, I wonder if we did have cable for like 
there was like an overlap where the cable was working for a few months. And anytime there was a commercial or anything, there was, we would just do push-ups, which was a great kind of positive feedback loop. Totally. And um, yeah, that, that was the instigation was really around the choice. It was the choice. It was like, if we put this, if we opt for this, we're going to use it. If we don't opt for it, we're going to be entertained by other things in life. Right. Did you have something tells me you had an experience where you like threw a television out of a window as a social experiment and then just never plugged back in? <laughs> Did I tell you about my, <laughs> my television? No, is that really? Pretty much. Um, <laughs> I know I, my friend. I was rock climbing with my friends in Joshua Tree because I used to be a rock climber. Didn't know that. I know. I, I realized before today's show, I was like, wow, these are going to be a lot of things that Justin doesn't know about me. This is pre. Pre-cosmic pre meeting in this lifetime. So my friends and I were rock climbing all day in Joshua Tree. And super fun, a lot of exertion. And we were camping. And we made, I think it was some sort of like vegan chili with a lot of psilocybin in it. Chili. And I was... Yes. Mm -hmm. And I oh, and psilocybin. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this tastes so good. And I had a lot. I had a lot of servings of the chili and had probably more than what was considered a, you know, average dose of psilocybin. And I basically flipped out. And uh, it was like up all night in Joshua Tree, like, screaming crazy things and one of the things that like I was clear that I had taken too many mushrooms and something was kind of awry and I started screaming that we needed to find Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt because they were gods and like they were gonna fix everything and I was clearly tapping into that like really creepy programming um totally and I spent the whole next day just like in, because we climbed the next day as well. And I was just in total silence. Like, of course, I don't know if you've ever had a psychedelic freak out. It wasn't my first, wasn't my last. Um, but just really reflecting on what was going on, what was being shown to me. And when I went back to LA, I was living in the Hollywood Hills at the time. I took a baseball bat to my television. Yeah. And I was, it was so satisfying. And I, it was interesting because I was, I was in this state of discomfort and I knew I had to do it. So it was like the next day of climbing, the trip home, the awkwardness with my friends who I was climbing with. And it wasn't until I took the baseball bat to the television that I was like, okay, now I'm back in alignment. How beautiful that you made ritual. Yes. With your integration process from psychedelic journeys. I, I mean, that's, that's really what, that's the thing to do. You found what was right as a as the the right expression to to bring the lessons learned in a psychedelic journey into this three D experience. Totally. And so then you didn't have a television. Then I didn't have a television, and I have, and I um, I mean, I'm guessing. I'm curious to know your experience of it now, but from 
taking television away from myself for that long and having such an in-my-face palpable experience of how distorted that programming is. Now when I'm faced with mainstream television, be it news or a show or a series or a commercial or whatnot, I'm so hyper attuned to the programming and the toxicity and the nefarious fuckery that's coming through it that it, it repels me and I can't get away from it fast enough. Like when I go to a, a bank or a gas station or a, you know, waiting in a, an airport terminal and the television's on, it is so disturbing to my system because I'm acutely aware of, of, of the various levels of toxicity coming through it. I became more sensitive to television as well, but my response was different or more of a reaction. Yeah, more of a reaction. My, if I came into contact with a television after not having a television on like every day, like I went to a, like a brewery or a, a restaurant or something or a bar and there's a television, I just, my jaw would start to drop a little bit and my eyes would get fixed and I would just get in this trance of full, like the beam is on and I would watch myself get into it. You know, so the, the reaction was to do that. And then I'd watch myself get into it and I'd be like, whoa, I have to shake myself out of it. It was, yeah. a con it was a training. You know, it's the same thing. Anytime we become, we let go of something, the buffer of numbness is not there. And so we become extra sensitive. And then it's difficult to ignore. We're not really ignoring types. I had that experience a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago. I was at a Chinese restaurant with my mother. And from where I was sitting behind her at the bar was a television. And it was the news was on and I hadn't seen a television or the news in so long. And the newscaster was wearing like this sleeveless, very low cut, super sexy. She looked like she was clubbing. And I, I guess this is how it is now, but this was my first ex exposure to this new iteration of newscasters at the time. And I had that, I, I couldn't take my eyes off it because I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is how news anchors are now aesthetically presenting themselves, like go-go dancers at a club. Like, it, it was so odd to me. Well, we need, we need the ratings. We need the ratings. And that's, you know, it's all about cleavage and like really toned arms and big blonde hair, I guess. I mean, it's, it's just all part of this programming, right, to 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 serve and to feed into a, a specific layer of consciousness and biological need to belong and need and admiration. And I, mean, I can see it really clearly now. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting, like, for example, when we go to uh, my parents' house, my parents have a, a big screen TV and they watch lots of movies and they stream shows. And uh, my dad used to watch sports a lot, but now it's, I don't think that, that's happening i think sports stopped a few months ago um but they'll still have stuff playing on the on the television yeah uh usually they'll play like they'll have like pandora or they'll have some music playing or there might be some video or like um we'll come over there and my dad will put on some disney something because he knows orion is going to be there and he wants to see orion dance and and, you know, 
make a little jig like any one or two year old would with those tunes because it's nice programming for these things. I say nice facetiously. Uh, and I have to be like, hey, let's turn this off. Let's turn this off or let's opt for something else. Um, I, th I think that they're just relating. And a lot of people who are used to television use it as a relational device. You know, it's like how you can spend time with people or how you can entertain people. It's almost like you got to have your television as part of your house entertainment system so that when people come over, you have that as an option for connection, which is odd to think of as I a space that, of connection. I find that so odd that people, and I know that that is how people do it, that we're all, that we're going to spend time together, not looking at one another, looking at the screen and allowing it to tell us what to think and how to be in the world. That's, that's one of those things uh, word wise that I've always enjoyed about the word television is the tell of vision. You know, there's a certain transparency in saying, this is what we're doing. <laughs> we're telling well, you the vision to have programs. Right. Programming. It's all so out in the open. How do you feel about, like you you mentioned it you know inviting your father to put something else on do you allow orion to watch television to watch disney stuff no he no we don't do i mean orion has maybe only he's maybe seen actually uh last weekend we went out into town and like when walked on on the coast and when there's a little downtown area not downtown but in capitola there's a bunch of little shops and they've started to open and so we went there and there was there were people wearing masks and there were people not wearing masks. And it was the first time that Orion had, had seen that. And he was just like, like I would be to a television, like what is going on there? You know, cause there's, you know, they're artsy and they have prints on them and it's like a new type of clothing that he's not seen. So he was very engaged um, with that programming. Uh, but you know, Orion has not seen any, uh, Disney stuff. I guess he's heard some things. He recognizes Mickey Mouse because he has a sh like an old school shirt. Mickey Mouse. My dad likes showing him that. Um, and I'll show him animal videos on YouTube because mm -hmm. we'll talk about an animal and he'll he'll see it in like well he knows giraffe and he has a giraffe toy and he has books that have giraffes and he loves saying giraffes and so I thought why don't I show you a picture of a herd of giraffes running across this, the, the plains. And that's cool because that's, uh, I mean, to me, that's cool because it's a, it's an educational piece and it engages him more with the curiosity around nature. One thing that I've noticed about, you know, because, because I'm not exposed to mainstream media very much when I am, it, it is so much bigger, you know, it's so, it's so loud to my system. So there's the issue of the news talking about like how terrible the world is and all these scary things that it's putting in people's minds. I went to a friend's house maybe a month ago, Ross, and he was really excited to show me this new show, Midnight Gospel. Have you heard of this? Uh, with, uh, what's his name? Duncan Trussell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, I haven't seen it, but I, I'm aware of it. I didn't know anything about it. He just picks this episode at random and it's, 
It's uh, Duncan Trussell having a voiceover conversation with Anne Lamott about death, and then these psychedelic uh, animations happening on the screen that, you know, they're psychedelic, so they're kind of inchoate and don't necessarily have like a rational logic to them, and they don't really have that much to do with what they're talking about. They're just happening on the screen. And there were at least, at least half a dozen moments where the psychedelic imagery turned into hypo hypodermic needles that were being injected into the animated characters that had nothing to do with what was going on. And I was, my system was so offended by the programming. Nothing that they were talking about had to do with hypodermic needles or injections. And, and all the characters were being injected by, it wasn't like they were injecting themselves, right? Like these needles were like appearing out of the swirls of psychedelica and then being injected into them. And I was so appalled by the very clear subliminal pro-vax programming. It was super disturbing to me. And then I immediately in my Aquarian way went to, okay, how many millions of people are tuning into this? How many millions of people are tuning into this stoned or drunk or on some sort of state of intoxication? And this imagery is slipping in that has nothing to do with what they're talking about. And it had me seriously wondering about the contract that the, the people who are creating the, the series had made. Cause it didn't, it doesn't make sense to me that that would be some animators authentic, you know, artistic expression that all that they're just so enchanted with hypodermic needles. I mean, um, there could be. I mean, it, it's possible that they're in, you know, because if we're talking about programming, uh, in a lot of ways, none of us are exempt from the programming, correct. right? So, which is, why, which is why be, I choose not to watch television because I know that I'm not exempt and I don't want to be taken by those. Well, you're curating the programming and checking things at the door and discerning your programming, right? which, which is the conscious awesome. I mean, that's, that's the response basically is that, okay, acknowledge that there are programs. We start to see that it's where the subliminal actually loses its sub comes across the veil and becomes liminal and, and encoded in light message. That's that we are, um, that we have the ability to read. You know, we have, what's it called when you can read? You're literate. Yeah, literate. That's <laughs> the word. Thanks for the save. Uh, but the, the liminal literacy, uh, that, that piece, as we start to be more aware of what's coming in, not only through our eyes, but, you know, our eyes and ears, and then also that, that synesthesia, there's an alchemy to things coming into your eyes and into your ears and how those things sync up. It's not like, you know, uh, you're having a conversation with someone out in nature and what they're saying and the, the soundscape of nature are matching up with your eyes and ears. This is a, it's almost a deliberate art, art driven. And art is it's such a wide definition of what art can be these days too. So, you know, art can seep into, you know, entertainment, art, advertising, like all of this has different spokes in the wheel. And to have that discernment of just knowing when something's not kosher. And that's that's really what I keep coming back to is just being able to red flag when something's not kosher. If it just so doesn't do feel right. 
So is it, is it just like a, is, yeah, is it just a feeling? How do you discern what media is worthy of taking in and what media you know to turn off? Well, I, I find that it's, it's uh, social media. It used to be different where I don't watch regular media, but I do subscribe to social media. Now regular media is in the social media. So like, whereas I never watched uh, Fox or CNN, or I hadn't in, I don't even know, a few decades. I was even too young to be watching CNN and Fox when I was in the 90s, because you know I was like a teenager and an adolescent. And, you know, episode 14, I was just, there was other things that I was, right. was interested Girl. in. <laughs> Girls, uh, running around, freedom, like a car, like all of a sudden I can do things, learning what a job is and like, the responsibilities, you know, it's just so many other things to do than watch CNN or Fox. But now I see a lot more Fox come up in my feeds or people tagging videos or commentary on things. Um, and, you know, nowadays, be, be, I think that has invited me to have a, a stronger discernment layer. There's that super obvious layer of, okay, I, I know that whatever I'm seeing through this screen is being filtered. And so, okay, I acknowledge that. And I generally just don't believe things initially. I hold space for them to occur. I'm not going to buy into it without a question. If I watch something and don't question it at all, then I definitely toss it out in my mind of being a safe piece of content. Mm -hmm. There has to be a questioning. There's actually a Willy Wonka line uh, about uh, never doubt. It's like never doubt anything that people have not found certainty about. Or, you know, it's some Willy Wonka way of saying, if there's any room for, for uncertainty, then there's room for doubt. Like, doubt the things that are, you know, it's a, it's a wisdom piece. Wonka wisdom. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, I mean, it's a muscle. It's a muscle to be flex, to be exercised. So uh, I know that I'm, when I'm watching things, I need to be in a dialogue. If it's just reception, if I'm just receiving things, then uh, that's, that's uh, to me, that's kind of dangerous. Yeah. For me, one of the pieces which you touched on, and there are a few, and starting at the most basic level is, does it, how does it make me feel? So like media that makes me feel scared, I turn that off. You know, media that's telling me that the world is a scary place, I turn that off. Even after I had taken the baseball bat to my television, there are all sorts of other media. And I worked at Vogue for a couple of years in Los Angeles. And I would spend a lot of time delighting over the pretty clothes. We would get, you know, it wasn't just Vogue. We would get every single magazine delivered to the office. And, you know, it's fun to look at the things. And then I just started to notice how much of the content in those magazines was telling me that I'm not enough, that I'm too old, that I'm too fat, that I, even just that I need to buy this thing and noticing that the more that I looked at magazines with pretty clothes, the more things I thought that I needed, like I was stuck mm -hmm. on that. And then, you know, I'm definitely attuned to a lot of the programming that tells women that they're, they're supposed to be, you know, look this one singular way. So that, that's become another piece of, does this make me 
me think that I'm not enough? Does this make me think that I need to buy something to be pretty or this or that? And if, it, if it's anything that, that creates an idea of not enoughness in me, I know that that is toxic to me. Yeah, that, and that's a pretty prevalent message. There's, it's almost like there could be curriculum in, in well, it wouldn't really be in school. Maybe it would be in so, some type of homeschool curriculum. Yesology. In the School of Yesology, we, we actually offer a curriculum of the different categories in which media can pull false narratives and yeah. how, to, how to watch with a discerning filter. You know, so and as we get more... Uh, a discerning filter would be who is speaking the message, what platform is that on, um, how much is it opinion versus stating facts of what happened, then watching how other angles and different other people speak to the same event, what things are being omitted or included. I mean, there's, there's just a paying attention. It's not just a paying attention. It's a skill set of paying attention and sometimes I just put my investive, investigative journalist hat on. I'm not a trained by any kind of school investigative journalist, but you're my bestie and you're an investigative journalist. So I learn things from how you use filters. Uh, and there, there are just, there are people that I, I start to build respect for how they call things out. Um, and then if, and then for me to be able to also go and check the sources that they're pointing to is super important because A, it strengthens my trust in that feed. And B, it also gets me to know if they're cutting corners. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the thing is the pace is so fast of how much information is coming in. I'm sure that when you're putting out content, and it's like, well, I could go and find that whole thing, but like, it's fine. People can find it if they need to. They're going the extra mile really goes the extra mile for someone who's discerning. Totally. A couple things that came to mind when you were speaking. One thing that I've become attuned to in the past few years is when um, a newspaper or, or a radio station, some sort of news show will say there's no evidence. I'll immediately look to see if I could find the evidence. And I notice how often that phrase, there's no evidence to show, is not true, is, is being used to cover up. So that's something that, that is a red flag for me now when I hear that there's no evidence, that will inspire me to go do my due diligence. And another thing is when you talked about the, the outlet. Like, I was inculcated to believe that everything on Fox News is bullshit. And I find that there are some commentators on Fox News that I like what they say. I don't like everything they say. You know, one thing that really turns me off is when um, someone is demonized or a group, a whole group is wrong. Like that's the type of thing where I'm like, okay, that's programming. I'm not going to go there. But I'm also finding um, that a lot of these publications that had been demonized, um, that there are truths there and looking at, okay, where is, the de where is the demonization coming from? And what are the interests of those media outlets that are telling me not to give my attention? That's a big one, is telling me what to think, what to put my attention on, what I need to do, instead of just presenting the facts and letting me make up the my, my mind for myself. That's become a big red flag for me. 
that's and it's more common too it's it's so um it's offensive to me mm -hmm. i'm offended when i'm being told what to think it immediately makes me step back and say no thank you uh and something that i you know that i, I remembered and i wanted to bring into this episode was that when i was traveling in new zealand i noticed that the way that their weather was reported in on the news was it was designed so that um, it was treating the audience like they were intelligent, mm. like speaking more to to weather patterns and the like a northeasterly and and they just kind of the way that it was presented gave the the listener the viewer a way of understanding more of what was going on and and there was like a collective acknowledgement. And then when I came back to the States and I watched uh, like a meteorologist report, it was just, here are the numbers, here are the pressures, but it was just, it was different. And, it, and maybe it was the music that they were playing during the, the wet. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. That was great. That was, my, my heel really just hit that. <laughs> all right let's jump back on here that's i felt like even got a little bit of the free fall feeling there it was awesome to see your face as it happened you handled it really well yeah i'm excited to see that when we air this um yeah so that that was something that was very um enlightening to see the contrast of how different countries and different medias. Now, I think it's a little bit different. That was in, you know, 05. So I, I think it's actually, people are a little bit more on this on board. Like media outlets have gotten the same playbook. Now what works best in, in the US? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely playing with the same pattern. Based on that one thing, I do like it when people speak um, to, my intellect, to, to my intellect and they're not speaking at me. They're speaking with me. Like there's some people that I'll follow on social media, you know, like Orion Morningstar. And he's like, are you with me? Right? And there's like a, a, a teaching pause that indicates that he's with us and wants to make sure we're with him versus like barreling over us with information. Another thing that I really like is... Like one thing that I'm noticing in news that they're getting, it, it's shocking to me as a journalist, like the unethical tricks that pass by. So when they'll say, sources say, or experts mm -hmm. say, but they won't say who it was or what organization they're from, I automatically know they're lying. So as I come to follow more and more independent journalists, I really like it when they'll share their sources, like Amazing Polly does it. And that woman, the Syrian girl, does it where they'll tell you what's happening. And at the same time, they'll show you like a citation. They'll show you a document or a digital indication of a document in circle. And that is very helpful. I, those are the, the people who are disseminating news. I definitely trust them more when they're sharing their sources with me. Indeed. Indeed. There's no, there's less hiding. It's more credibility. It, I mean, we are moving into an area and to an era of more transparency. And I think that uh, the powers that were, as I like to say, yes, um, I, I, I think that there is this uh, strategy to like, we'll just pump more, more, more content and people won't have 
they won't be able to track what to look for. Uh, and, and so the people that do the count, do counter and actually show the transparency really does, it does a lot for me. And I, I feel for people who, um, who I'm having conversations with and they just think I'm a little bit of a, a loony bin, a little bit of a crazy person because I have dissenting ideas or I have conversations and narratives that are different than what they have heard or they've been told how to think about that narrative. And so I get grouped into some something or another. Uh, and I think the concept of what's like following a source is or having a source where they say, well, I get my information from this epidemiologist or from this person. And I just, I know that they're doing a good job. And I say, how do you know they're doing a good job? And it's immediately like, let's just shift the conversation. It's, it's only that there's, there's just not the willingness to go a little bit deeper in. And I know we're just talking about veracity of information, right? Just that initial checkpoint of knowing whether I, even if it's true, I can still decide whether I want to keep it or toss it or just kind of where to put it. But for me to feel like my feet are here grounded in this 3D reality, you know, as a multidimensional being, for me to have touched down here in my bodysuit, I've got a, I have a map that I'm putting together of what makes sense that how this all comes together. We're all doing that. I just want to have a more active role in how that comes together. And for me, that also means bringing playfulness to it. So uh, something else that I like to do with, with televisions in that transition back in uh, 2000 when we stopped watching television. And I remember too, just telling people like, oh yeah, like why you, you know, you should get rid of your television. I think there were even bumper stickers that were like, you know, kill your television. Kill your television thing. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I, it was kind of a novel, funny thing, but then I was like, no, 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 that's actually really important. That's really important. Uh, what we ended up doing at our house, uh, being artsy kids that we are, we started to collect toilet paper rolls from our friends and from ourselves. Um, and we made uh, pixelators out of our televisions. So, and we would do this with like multiple houses and things. So let's say you have a television that's like a 40 inch television, uh, which is the, is the diagonal measurement. And so I would say it's a 50 inch television, which I think would mean it's like um, 40 by 30 or something, whatever the dimensions are. And then you divide that area by the area of a toilet paper roll. And you can make these pixelators where you basically cover the entirety of the screen with toilet papers that are framed in you know, cardboard or something. You gotta get crafty with it. And then you put, so the, the toilet paper rolls are pressed up against the screen. And then on the other side of the toilet paper is like a tissue paper or newsprint, something that's kind of a translucent. And you take the millions of pixels that are going on in the screen and reduce them to like 250 pixels. And it looks like a scoreboard of colors. And it has this cool, it's kind of a psychedelic art thing. We would bring them to parties and like hang them up on televisions at the party, like bring like a VHS tape or DVD, whatever it was at the time. And um, it just turns your television into an art piece rather than a, a programming piece, you know? 
that was really fun. I've, I've made a bunch of those. Actually, I think the first thing I ever posted on YouTube was a picture of a pixelator playing the Simpsons intro. Oh, nice. So you know what it's playing. The, vi- the visuals, because they're so in there, but then you see it drop down to like, you know, maybe 50 squares or 50 circles, you know. So there's, there's fun to be had with your television that's not just, or even painting over the television. I've seen that art exhibit before where someone will do like a snowy painting, you know, to, for that black and white foot. There's just fun to be had. Totally. I encourage that. I do. What do you, what do you think is the, uh, to, I think kids that are coming in online right now, you know, coming into the world, to, the television is really not, this might be a conversation 20 years from now where they say, when did you stop using your your phone or your laptop? Or when did you unplug from screens? And yeah. maybe that's going to happen. It's, it's, it's something that I've come more attuned to lately because I do still watch videos on YouTube. And the commercials that come through, I when, once I had given television up, I wasn't being exposed to that gross. You know, they're just preying on crappy self-esteem and that we're not enough. So I don't like that I'm exposed to the little bits that I am on YouTube. And that's something that I've, I do have some misgivings about. Is it, uh, if you do the red YouTube, sometimes I feel resentful that I have to pay to not get advertised to. I know I do it on Spotify. I do for, for, for some of the media outlets, but not for YouTube for some reason. I have, I mean, it's kind of a different thing, but I'm, I'm not into monthly subscription services because I know how that feeds like the fake debt economy and it's my preference to stay out of that. And Spotify is, I mean, I have a, a couple also like my Pilates wheel <laughs> programming, but Spotify is the one that I make an exception for because I do listen to music and I, I just know how horrible those advertisements are i even gave up using thesaurus.com because of the the little visual advertisements that would pop up and how devastating they are to the psyche and then i i dug into who owns thesaurus.com and saw the hundreds and hundreds of sites that they own and and honed in on their nefarious intentions um it's a lot. I mean, it definitely takes a lot of deft maneuvering to avoid uh, exposing the psyche to those things, and it feels super important these days. Yeah, to be able to unplug from all media is one way, right? That's how you can avoid that. But to be informed not- as well, to be informed as well, it's part of the the responsibility of being an informed person is being informed in how to to eschew and and ninja kind of more samurai your way through what what comes in and what doesn't come in for sure I feel how do you like, know if you're being programmed i think okay here's my criteria are do i feel like shit um am i scared am i all of a sudden angry at other people Um, You know, are other people becoming bad? Is it creating separation and this notion of enemies? 
Um, is it uplifting me? Is it bringing me down? I can, are they telling me what to think? Is it stamping, is it stepping on my free will? Um, is it insulting my autonomy and my intelligence? What about you? Yeah, all of those things were resonating. A lot of it is feeling based. A lot of it is checking in and knowing, am I, am I getting, you know, is this filling my cup? watching and bringing this in sometimes there's compromise with that where it's filling my cup to be informed but i also feel a i can now be informed and at the same time i feel not enough because i know that there's more to to go down the rabbit hole and i'm just don't choose to spend my time completely like screen face i think I mean, two things are coming to mind. So I'm just going to say Wired Magazine and put a pin in that. But another piece is there's no one who I'm going to believe everything they say. Like these days, everyone has their blind spots and their holes in a lot of things. So, you know, I, I like Sticks Hammer's news commentary. And when it comes to his take on vaccines, I know we're not aligned and that's a place where I'm not going to go. I like a lot of what Tucker Carlson says about what's going on in the world when he starts demonizing entire groups of people and calling them stupid. You know, I'm not really into that. So I think there's, with ev anyone I listen to, it's taking what resonates and throwing out the bits of programming that are, that are coming in or the bits of opinion or the blind spots or whatnot. It's like a refined curation. It's so important these days because I'm, I'm clear that the biggest issue we're facing is that we don't agree on what's happening. And we're all, like, I don't fault anyone because the media is giving us, it's messing with us. So it, it, it really demands that we become more discerning and we do vet our information more clearly. So another way that I know that I'm being programmed is when they're completely off topic. And Wired Magazine was the one magazine that even as I gave up mainstream media, it was the last one for me to give up. Because I, I love Wired Magazine. I love their writers. I love how they're tracking these trends. And it was a way for me to feel like I wasn't completely separate from this reality, like a complete alien weirdo. It was, it was one way for me to feel a little bit normal. And after the election, they started telling me what to think about the president and they started weighing in on politics. And aside from cluing into their tactics as being complete propaganda, it was so frustrating because why are you all of a sudden talking about politics? This is Wired Magazine. This is not what you're about. Um, mm -hmm. And so that just all of a sudden going off topic um, and, and, you know, when any sort of commentator talking about what's going on and they'll find a way to bring in some gross partisan thing, then I know that they're fucking with me because it's not, it's not what we're talking about. Or there's a following of, you know, I've, I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, I'm sh I know that I've experienced this, is that at this moment, every website or everything that's trying to be sold to me has some type of indicator of this is how we are relating to um this pandemic or this is how we're relating to black lives matter or this is how we're relating to this 
or that or this or that. And I, it seems so not related. Like I'm not going to, I'm not buying sneakers and thinking, how is this company thinking about their politics and about health? Um, I mean, I, I suppose if some if it's some type of, hey, we're not sneezing on shoes before we send them out, like maybe that, maybe that's important to some people. Um, How crazy is that the, all the corporations who we know are planet rapers, we know that they're not good for the planet, and yet we're expecting them to weigh in with like the standard issue, like virtuous narrative. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's um, there are certain things that seem super obvious once your eyes are tuned in to the discernment lens. Like, okay, Starbucks, for example, saying we are supporting um, equality and Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. And, you know, at the same time, internally, you're not allowed to wear uh, any kind of Black Lives Matter um, clothing because it's not part of the uniform. Okay. Uh, but that is irrelevant because Starbucks is specifically using slaves in Africa to get to coffee. Right. Like, right. So black life, like clearly everything about your business indicates that black lives don't matter, but this is the new trend. This is the new program. This is the new mind control. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just something to be aware of. It's like, I'm also, I don't want to tell people how to think. I just, I like asking questions and seeing what prompts bring up what. And also like with as much of my oomph as possible, not judging someone for their opinion of the moment or their preference of the moment and just, ah, interesting. Or um, if, it, if it has the ability to prompt me to see with a more compassionate lens, then I'm grateful for it. Totally. There's a compassionate quest that's going on right now. I think another way that I can clue into where I'm being programmed is if all the shows and all the corporations and every, all the Instagram feeds are saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. When the masses are saying the same thing, I am super suspicious, especially when they're supposedly being really progressive because MasterCard and Starbucks are not going to be at the forefront of anything progressive. So that that's a really easy way for me to see when things are not on the up and up is when they're all saying the same thing. And there's no, and especially when there's no room for a difference of opinion, when it's not, oh, I, I think differently and that's okay. When, when the mainstream media is saying anyone who thinks differently is evil or is this negative thing, then I know that it's all full of shit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it feels like a very basic, of course. And I think that there was a time when I didn't have that. I didn't have that awareness, you know, or maybe it wasn't so prevalent. Now it's just super obvious. And yeah, the everyone having the same thing to say, it makes me suspicious. I just choose to be a little bit, hmm, hmm, interesting. Um, 
I thought for a moment there, I was thinking about, you know, the, the truth in the, this, the revolution will not be televised. Mm -hmm. You know, there are certain adages, there are certain things that are, okay. So if, if we take that to be a cultural, like a program, that's, I remember it from, I don't even know how long ago, the revolution will not be televised. And then to see a revolution happening on television, I'm like, well, that's not a revolution then. It's status quo. It's same, same. Yeah, it's so. Yeah, I first, I think the first time I clued into that was after 9-11. Mm. And everyone was on that like hyper patriotism tip. And when I just saw how quickly it was absorbed and being spewed out by the masses, the corporations, by everyone, I was like, mm, something's fishy. I don't buy it. But it's also how to be, this is how you be patriotic. That yeah, piece. One way you have, mm -hmm. and these days it's really dangerous because I'm seeing like if if you're not doing this, you're the problem. If you're not speaking out on this, and it, if there's only one way, that doesn't work for me. Yeah, there's. Uh, I mean, I think the same thing in in cultivating food. You know, it's like if we're doing a monocrop for our media information and not getting the diversity that is nature's intelligence nod to episode 13 then yeah they're there it's just not healthy or sustainable and maybe it's designed to not be sustainable maybe it's supposed to have a very short life and so it goes and comes and it makes room for new and the new is subtly more and more programmy but once you once we choose and opt for the our program like i'm here for a mission i have things that i've come here to do there are programs that are going to assist me in moving in moving towards that and having it move towards me and then there are programs that are going to distract me when we're really clear and really confident and rooted in our mission here it becomes very clear and very very much part of the daily practice to let go of certain things, bring certain things on. You know, it's, it, I mean, yeah, there, there's something with that where I, I, I feel the impetus to reach out to people that I used to share ideology with and, and it's shifted. I feel the impetus to reach out and connect with these people mm -hmm. to let them know what I'm learning and give them the opportunity to also question their narrative. But there's also some kind of, there's also some type of rubric where I'm testing myself or I'm testing myself to see if what I'm, what I'm learning is, uh, is making me sound kind of crazy, which is actually a good sign these days. Yeah. I wasn't as discerning with that at, from the beginning of, of Facebook and the internet. Cause I was in, now, I used to work for a documentary filmmaker named William Gazeki, who made Crop Circle's Quest for Truth. And so my job for him was to research other documentaries. And at that time, you know, stuff that falls under the, the marginalized term of conspiracy theory. And just so our audience is clear, and I'm sure that they know this, conspiracy theory was a term that was co-opted by the CIA in the 60s to discount narratives that countered their narratives and to shut down debate and intelligent 
um, research and looking into. So it, that term is meant to just discount things and throw them to the side. But so that was my job. And as a news nerd, I was so excited about the things that I was learning. And I would, you know, early days of Facebook, I would put them on social media. And uh, I learned the hard way that that's a, a real easy way to have people think you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. The, well, the, the context is a lot. Context yeah. is kind of everything. And especially with television, it's like if you sit down in front of a television with the context of, uh, now I can really relax and just kind of tune out versus the context of, okay, I'm going to sit down in front of this television. I'm going to get entertained. I'm also going to recognize that with this entertainment comes different layers of subliminal information. And I allow my subconscious to sort through that for me so that I can still be relaxed. You know? Yeah. I mean, that definitely takes a warrior's, perspective like I I feel like that's an area where you might be more resourced than I am because I tend to get so overwhelmed by the programming so quick that I'm I just don't want it anywhere near me but another piece that I wanted to speak to just as far as what we're seeing now in our culture is you know when I was in journalism school I would read the New York Times Washington Post and the LA Times every day and I was pretty much inculcated to believe that the Washington Post and the New York Times were the two best papers in the country and they were sort of the gold standard. So with those, as well as with Wired Magazine, when I saw it start to get shady, um, it still took me a while to let go of these news sources because I was so um, attached to my love for them and attached to what they used to represent. So even though Wired Magazine would piss me off every issue I subscribed. It took you me- You came back for more. <laughs> I, I would pick it up every time and be shocked when they did it again, you know? And same with New York Times and same with NPR. And so I say that to say like, I have compassion because it's a really big, it's a huge deal to let go of these sources and to admit that they're messing with us, you know, that's huge. That's the, the implications of that go beyond, I don't like this magazine anymore. Mm -hmm. So I understand why people have a hard time letting go of these things. And I also invite more discernment and more critical examination of the media that we're taking in right now. I want to know, I mean, I, I, I like to focus and I want to know what you think about bringing levity and having fun with the input of information because sometimes when we talk about information that's coming in we're laughing our asses off you oh, know sometimes i mean sometimes the farce is is just hysterical you know especially when it's like it's just math you know there's just certain there are certain things that are it can be really fun to participate in media and to participate in um even in television with the right lens like with a lens that's going to be adding and filling your cup and just giving you this some semi-objective space of like wow this is a very strange world we live in look at these human behavior patterns almost like you're looking at it as an extra dimensional or an extraterrestrial observing
taking the lens and the perspective of being an extra, extra dimensional or an extraterrestrial, observing human behavior, and just being in the curiosity, and like the genuine, genuine curiosity, you know, without being agendaed. Uh, the human behavior, it can be super entertaining and bring levity to the information accrual, bringing in content and information. Yeah, the levity is key. I mean, I know I, because it's heavy, you know, we cannot pretend that what's going on on our planet right now is not heavy. The stakes are high, tensions are high, the <laughs> illusion of division and separation is high. So I, I mean, it is my saving grace when, a, you know, you and I are playing on Instagram where we can laugh about these like crazy stories that we're seeing. And it's one of, you know, and, and I'm mentioning them again, but it's not, you know, like I'm not a Tucker Carlson devotee, but I, I definitely appreciate his sense of humor in his commentary about things. He's so dry in his sense of humor. He is dry, but he'll, but he'll like talk about the most intense, ridiculous things. I mean, that's why at this point in this moment right now, Orion Morningstar is my very favorite. He's really up there for me. He's really up there. Oh my God. It's, it's not just the Orion piece. That is bonus. I like, it's his uh, cadence and his speech where I feel like he is offering programming. And in that video that you just sent me, he was like, I know you guys want to know why. I'm using my hands and, and like, is this kind of a, a nervous tick or whatnot? I'm actually encoding your consciousness with wake up frequencies. And I was just, I was like, ah, so appreciative that you're being transparent about that and not like in the background of this scene are these, <laughs> you know? Totally. And yeah. I mean, I know it's the littlest thing and it, it, with him, it's almost a verbal tick. Anytime he says fam, my heart softens and I, I feel like, okay, we're in this together. I'm part of this larger collective. It just like softens. Yeah, any, I, I, when I look at content uh, and media and you know, what television has become essentially, because it's still the television through any kind of screen, um, there are certain programming that I go to when I feel even low energy and i'm like i need it i want to pick up my my vibe right now and it's usually not about the content of what they're talking about but the feeling of fam it's the feeling of agreement or the feeling of like i feel safe with this with this content stream or you know the the people that are talking or i feel some simpatico with that uh and that usually raises my energy and my my vibration I like to also put some 432 solfeggio on the background, always. Same, always. I do that. Yeah, I have the Schulman resonance on in the background. One thing that I feel inspired to speak to, which I feel like is such a weird thing that we're, that we're experiencing in this time, is when I was a kid growing up, we all watched- a child. Thank you. When I was a child growing up, we all watched the Jeffersons. Sanford and Son was my favorite show. I had, uh, who played Fred Sanford? I don't know his name. After? It was, mm -hmm. uh, whoever it was, I had a crush on him and I had Red Fox. I had a crush on Red Fox. I had a Red Fox doll. 
that uh, was a gift for my parents. They got in Vegas and one side of him, he was wearing like an old school 70s tux and then you flipped him around and he was wearing like a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. And it was my favorite thing. Gemini Fox. Totally. Um, and like the Cosby show, that was such a big deal. That was everyone's favorite show. So I find it weird that something is shifted in our culture and there's the, the programming for different cultures and different affinities. Like I don't, you know, like movies with black people in them are for black people. Like I didn't grow up with that. And that's something that just, it lands weird in me that it's not all for all of us. Does that yeah, make sense? Like that they remade uh, some Julia Roberts movie with like all an all black cast so that it could be for black people. Like that trend in media, I find really bizarre. Yeah, it kind of blurs the line with identification and entertainment. You know, there's the there's something with, uh, you know, these are stories. We're storytellers and we can leave it up to our imagination to be the translator so that the story becomes relevant to us. I don't need, I choose, and I don't need for the director, the producer, the actors, the, the storyteller to make it so obvious and packaged up for me specifically. I would actually rather they do what's the most authentic version of it for themselves and I can connect with the with the authenticity of the film exactly. and you know I, I you know it's one of those things where if more people made art like that as opposed to what are the masses wanting right now more what is naturally coming through me we would have a more refined muscle of recognizing and sharing authenticity and we're doing this to ourselves that, yeah, that's the thing. And well, and it's also the media, the, the puppet, you know, the corporate media are doing it. There's sort of a manipulation going on. Like I remember as a little kid playing shoots and ladders, I think it was shoots and ladders. And there were like two little boy characters and in the two little girl characters, one was blonde and one was black. And it didn't spin me out that one wasn't like olive skinned with brown hair and brown eyes. You know, like it didn't, I don't think it had a negative effect on my self concept that there wasn't a player piece that looked exactly like me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's something in this conversation, in this topic, this piece of it, uh, with individual versus collective. Uh, and it seems like there's a farce being made of the individual because it's being so separated. Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost like, and I, I'm a fan of individualism because I think that's what breeds beautiful art and diversity. Yeah. And I've, I've watched in different groups and through personal experiences, that's where there's more thriving happening. And so there's something in the creating individualism to be dumbed down so that it can it can fit each person. If there's some, there's something in this, I, I want to unpack it. It could be a, another phone conversation we have, but there's yeah, some. I hear what you're saying. It is an insult to the collective intelligence and to everyone's individual intelligence. It's very, it feels very infantilizing and very disempowering and not acknowledging 
like that the shared humanity is something that we can all tap into. And that's definitely something that turns me off of media is when they attempt to separate and they're denying a shared humanity and making it seem like we can't all relate. That weirds me out. I'm not into that. I'm also not into that. I don't think any of our listeners are into that either. I don't think so. No. And just uh, like, just to bring it, you know, to step away from, from, from this area, when it comes to like who I follow in my feeds, I notice there's a difference between, like I don't follow anyone who makes me feel like crap or that's gonna make me feel bad about myself. But I also notice there are some people that I follow where I'm envious. And those people I will continue to follow because they're showing me something that I want, right? There's, a, there's an admiration. And sometimes that can be misconstrued by the ego as like, this makes me feel like shit. But it's just showing me, oh, I want that success or I want that beautiful house or whatnot. And, and so one thing that I do as I'm in the, pro, you know, differentiating between does this, is this authentically caustic to me, my sense of self-esteem, or is this showing me a crack in my own ego? And when I clue into the fact that it's showing me a crack in my own ego, then I'll like or comment or go the distance to approve as part of my own process of, of integrating that perception of lack or whatever it is. There's an engagement currency in that. Um, I think I mentioned this a few episodes ago and it's, I'd like to have Omri on the show uh, when we start having guests uh, and talk about social engagement and the program and curriculum that he's working on. Oh, this is the uh, guy you've been hiking with. Yeah, I've been hiking with and he's in a men's group and I'm a, uh, my men's fire circle, which is just so, so fucking good. So good. I love that you do that. I love it. Yeah, it's like fulfilling on, on many, many levels. And that, that piece of social engagement of knowing that when you create value for conversation, a thread, whatnot, when we add to it, we get something back. It's not just about I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting. And that's the thing with television as when we grew up, um, and not like a past tense earlier on in our growing up like that earlier on uh it was more of a one directional conversation now because it's at least bi-directional there's a there's a lot of opportunity to move from passive to engaged mm -hmm. and i i think that there's a lot of juju in that for people it's very activating it really helps us to know where where we are in ourselves you know I, I love that you do that i love that you do that thanks yes. another shift that i've made and i appreciate that is i'm choosing to weigh in less on some volatile topics you know i get i get plenty of pushback from the stuff i put out so i have um really cut back on on wing and on just random threads that being said, I do support the people who are saying the tough truths that I believe in. So it might be a controversial thread and then person X will say something that is bold and I'll just say, thank you for speaking. And I'll, I'll just give that person a little bit of energy. Um, that's all. This almost, this almost falls in and could go into another episode about uh, etiquette, like social media etiquette. Totally. Well, and or and engagement etiquette. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to take us too off track of like 
television and media or whatnot. What about um, movies? Do you go to see feature films? Like, where are you at with that? I love movies. I love going to see movies. I, I really love movies. And I get it in a certain way right now. It's challenging to watch m movies n knowing the context of, say, Hollywood. Um, and a lot of the darker energies and, and darker plot twists. And also, I've never really been a fan of super horror movies or violence. Um, I mean, that, that said, I like there are certain series and certain movies that I've watched that are gory and violent and manipulative in their texts. Yeah, like earmuffs, I'm, I muffs. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, I, I think it's part of my discerning. It's my exercising my discernment of knowing. I mean, sometimes the way that I track if something was okay is if I watch it at night and then I go into my dream space and I allow my subconscious to clean out what's going on or to express what my subliminal programming was, I can get a better idea of, whoa, what, what was that about? Or if it spurs another piece of a conversation. Uh, so I think movies can be a tool. I, I, I just treat most every piece of content as a self-reflection tool. Mm -hmm. I feel like movies mostly suck these days. Mm. And I um, have pulled back really big time from giving them my attention. I did watch Jojo Rabbit based on your recommendation and I loved it. Oof, I so loved good. It. Where was the, there? I didn't see any ad, I, it came out of nowhere. I'd never heard of it and it just came out and I watched it and I was amazed. I find that most movies I sit through and I'm disappointed and offended. I feel like they're, and I'm general, of course I'm making gross generalizations, um, but really shoddily written, you know, like I don't understand Judd Apatow's entire oeuvre. It feels very like kind of mediocre to me. And, um, like just shells of stories as a vehicle for stars to be pretty or for indoctrination or for violence to come in. Last summer, a person who I'd been on a couple dates with took me to see a screening of whatever the new Mission Impossible movie was. Mm -hmm. And I was traumatized. During the whole movie, I was like, <gasps> You know, like it's it's very startling to the nervous system and it was probably two thirds violence with some crummy dialogue. And I just spent the rest of the day in the fetal position trying to calm my nervous system from all the loud, the bullets and the bombs and the bangs. And I feel like that's so much of the programming is desensitizing people to this insane, insane amounts of violence. Um, yeah. Yeah, there, there, there's a two side to that. Because one, I think that in our biology and in our in the depth of humanity and as many lifetimes as we can connect to going back, I am positive that we have, I say personally, but more spiritually, not spiritually, but personified spiritually, uh, experienced a lot of violence and a lot of injustice and the whole story arc you know just bookmarking joseph campbell and that the importance of the hero's journey for our own psyche 
Totally. And so that I know that there's, it's speaking to something that's nested in our DNA. And it's interesting to me to see how some people can watch violence or some, you know, we'll just say violence and get very activated by it while other people get really traumatized by it. There's something about the sensitivity in that and looking at it honestly. Um, I'm, I'm someone who can, who can go either way. More likely I get, I get energy from it that I, I got to do something with. Like I can't really just let, let the energy sit in me. I got to do something about it. Right. I feel like because I understand to the extent that I do how the subconscious mind is programmed, I feel like, you know, I'm very down on Hollywood for implanting these visions and these possibilities into the public consciousness. I feel like it's super manipulative and super irresponsible and it allows people to avail themselves to these horrendous ideas and visions. Like I love Lars von Trier. I, I thought the five obstructions is one of my favorite documentaries, but breaking the waves and dancer in the dark are two movies that I wish I'd never seen and that I never had those images in my consciousness. Um, they're just very heavy for me to carry around. And I, um, I went into a store the other day and there was a young man, like probably in his early twenties and he had all these hand poked tattoos on his arm. And he seemed, he was wearing a mask and he seemed quite down. And one thing that I do as I'm moving around the world without a mask on is really going the distance to connect and to find the Venn diagram of shared humanity and crossover with people as much as possible because I can feel that absence in the collective. Mm -hmm. And so I was commenting on his tattoos and he was telling me how he did them and that he hand pokes them. And I said, wow, you just, you must have a very high tolerance for pain. And he's like, no, I don't actually, I just watch horror movies and when I do it he's like I watch horror movies while I do it to amp me up for the pain and when the pain gets too much I yell at myself for being a pussy and I use the visuals on screen to pump more adrenaline in my body to allow me to get through and I found that really sad <laughs> maybe I just wanted to hold him and um you know, maybe, maybe that's just like my judgment and my perception, but it, it had me really feeling for, um, for the younger people inheriting the planet right now. Mm. Yeah, that would be a, that's an unexpectedly heavy answer. It was pretty like, wow, that's cool. I like your tattoos. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're all, we're all traveling here with different levels of trauma. We're all traveling with all kinds of wounding that we either know or a lot, most of it we don't know that we have. And a lot of, a lot of what it comes down to is the, the programming and results of different levels of systematic programming. Um, and I think if your job is to govern people or to create a collective media, you know, a collective kind of vision of what's up, with reality it's a big responsibility and i feel like we've kind of handed it to children 
I'm actually not to, to children. We've handed it to kids. We've handed it. <laughs> we've handed it to people who are irresponsible with that, with that power. And I think that as uh, what I'd like to see as we move and evolve and mature more as a species, as a collective, and as a, as an in the knowing that separation is an illusion, to, to give responsibility to people who have and to groups who have done the work to responsibly curate and, and craft. You know, it's like, there's an interesting difference between listening to an interview with a futurist and a dystopian future, like a dystopian futurist or, you know, like Barbara Marks Hubbard listening to her speak versus listening to, um, or like right now I'm, I'm reading We, uh, which is written in the early 20s, 1920s, and was a description of a reality uh, of a of a post of a dystopian reality uh, in like 500 years from now. And there's such a different vibration and responsibility. One is like a cautionary tale. The other one is an expansive field of possibility. Totally, totally. Yeah, they, they work hand in hand. I mean, for me, I listen to one and then I, I listen to the other and I'm creating this curated space. And so it's actually a choice. I'm not just doing what a futurist says or agreeing, you know, there's a choice with it. Totally. I feel like, and this is an idea that I've had for quite a long time, but going to spiral dynamics and that system that delineates how consciousness evolves and how everyone's consciousness evolves through the same steps, in the same order, and that you can't comprehend a level of consciousness that you haven't evolved into yet. It's not possible. And that second tier consciousness is that leap from service to self and being me oriented to service to the whole and being we oriented. And I first thought of this when it came to jury selection and I thought, well, if I were on trial, what would a jury of my peers look like? Because if you just go through like the bullet points that I imagine a jury would go through, I don't know that those people are my peers. But if we go through levels of consciousness development, it's going to be much more accurate. And from there, I went to, well, the people driving the collective ship called our country, our planet, whatever, it would be wise if they were the people who had the most expansive consciousness who were operating in second tier because they have the most expansive perspective and can see what's going to benefit the most. It seems in my experience that those people have no interest in leadership. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's uh, at least in the way that leadership is now. We're not, you know, leaders, not leadership that serves the greatest good of the most there's leadership that creates the most profit like that that we see that happening um but i was just picking back on what what you were saying as far as the it would be so cool it will be so cool it is so cool as more people with more expansive second tier consciousnesses are stepping into these positions where they can steer mass media and can steer what we're taking in and um, curate those things in such a way that they're lifting us up 
and fostering more harmony and more unity. Yes, a hundred thousand percent. Yes. And this is a call to action. Ladies and gentlemen, our conscious awesome, awesome tribe, this is a call to action. Uh, as a second tier human, as someone who is engaging their consciousness, create and lead and find, find your active space because we're not hamsters on a wheel. We have purpose and mission here. And where it is that we have the ability to add to the collective and speak truth and create stories to inspire truth and inspire wake up and connect people and dissolve the illusion of, separ of separation. Where you have the opportunity to do those things, please do those things. Yes, thank you for doing those things. Thank you for doing those things. I'm like, I love that the threads that have opened up through this Kill Your Television episode. <laughs> I think that's what it's called. I think or so. Either Kill Your Television or The Revolution will not be televised. Okay. Mm, maybe Kill Your Television. It has a nice contrast with Conscious Awesome. It does. It's so unconscious awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Conscious unawesome. <laughs> yeah. But not really. Oh, even more. But not really. That's so <laughs> funny. <not> really. <laughs> We're an expensive bunch here. Yes. Um, thank you, DK. Do you have any, any other notes you think are important to pull together on this? we covered a lot and thank you for sticking with me because I'm aware that I took us like all over so thanks for Roland being such a great co-pilot my pleasure and just great to be seated in a more expansive state as we are at the end of the episode I feel more aware of the flow and media and I know the next time that my eyes take in information I'll have an extra awareness of that veil of subconscious and conscious and subliminal and liminal and just choosing what's going to be serving me and my fellow species, my fellow beings. I love that. And I invite our audience to do the same and to just, again, like we're not telling you what to think or what media is best for you, but to start to pay attention also to all the media that's coming in, like start checking out the billboards, start checking out the bus benches, start looking at the commercials that are showing up and just checking in with your body to make sure that these feel aligned, that these are lifting you up and these are helping you align to the vibration that you want to be tuning yourself to. And if they're not, to make a different choice. I like to also, just being a little bit of a shaman, a social shaman and such, when I see media and I see that subliminal like bus benches or um, billboards, radio, when the radio plays something and they ask some question, which is a funny thing to ask a question on the radio, you know, I will say no if I don't agree with it. Or if I see a billboard, I, I send energy that way that says I don't consent to that. That is yes. not. So the, it's an engagement. You can engage static or dynamic marketing, media, etc. Yes. yes. Thank you, Justin. This was so fun. Thank you, Danny. That was such a, an easy topic to roll into. Yeah. May we have more ease, more grace, more joy, more fun, more yes, and more conscious awesome. Have a phenomenal, phenomenal day. Aho. Aho. Thank you.
Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Be sure to give it a like to share it with your nearest and dearest. And remember to subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss a single episode of your very favorite podcast, Word Up with Danny Katz. We'll see you soon, tribe.